Hey everybody, this is Rafe Telsch and this is episode 51 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie selected specifically by our guest that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. Hope everybody's having a good week out there. Happy Halloween month. I promised you that we would do a couple of spooky movies. Unfortunately, I had one of those fall through, echoes of last year's Halloween. But the next two weeks will be some spooky movies in honor of everyone's favorite season. Last week, I talked about changing the rules of the podcast and letting guests come back. And this week, we're taking advantage of that with the return of Emily Slade from the Why This Film podcast. Now, longtime listeners will know Emily appeared back in episode 27, where we talked about Labyrinth, and this week she brings a old classic horror movie to the show for us to discuss. We talk about the process it took to get to this movie, because she actually brought a couple of other ideas first, uh, but the rule of the podcast, as always, is the guest picks the movie and the host keeps his mouth shut. So... We ended up with The Blood on Satan's Claw, 1971, so a departure from our recent focus on the 90s and 80s, which is really exciting, and had a great time watching this movie, and as always, a wonderful conversation with Emily. So here we go with 1971's The Blood on Satan's Claw. Spooky. So the last time we sat down to record an episode, which, by the way, congratulations on being my first repeat guest. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> um, the last time we sat down was mid-March, and the coronavirus stuff was just kicking off as far as like quarantines and stuff. Oh, How have you been since then? Yeah, you know... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as well as one can be in the midst of a global pandemic where both our countries are governed by morons and, um, you know, just like, fine, like, fine. I'm alive <laughs> still, so that's a plus. Yeah. Now, have you had to quarantine? You had to hide yourself away? We, no, I had to, um, I, we obviously did the sort of main lockdown, but um, that lasted three months. Uh, I haven't luckily, touch wood, been in contact as far as I'm aware <laughs> uh, <laughs> with anyone. Um, and I haven't had to sort of have the scary sort of like, quick, go isolate kind of thing. Um, so... Yeah, it's been it's been okay. I was I sort of I went back to work and that was kind of scary. Yeah. And I stopped working cuz I got too scared and yeah, it's just Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know how it is. Just um yeah. a lot of like uh fetal position, staring at the wall. <laughs> crying. I shouldn't laugh at that. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like a lot of people can relate. Um a lot of ceiling staring going on in the last few months yeah no i i gotcha so the, the uh, bringing it to a more positive note um I, I, the week that we're recording this i find this hilarious given you know the the wealth of movies out there but we ended up covering the same movie this week on our respective podcast yes yeah yeah i clicked onto spotify and it was like do you want to listen to the last die fighter or do you want to listen to the last starfighter and i was like oh what <laughs> <laughs> and i'd like never really heard of this movie and so to like to see it there in like a double whammy i was like oh my god that's so 
cool. We can all get <laughs> opinions. Um, so that was really, really fun. Yeah, yeah. It, it cracked me <laughs> up. And um, I honestly don't know which episode I prefer more. <laughs> so the uh, the... Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, you know, my understanding when I started listening to your podcast was, you know, that it's it's movies from people's childhood. Mm-hmm. You know, so you've covered a lot of movies that you would expect. Last Starfighter, uh, Labyrinth, you covered on your show and you came on here and talked about it. Uh, I came over and talked about war games. Yes. But you've also had a surprising amount of horror movies on your show. Yeah. So at the moment for the month of October, I'm sort of going back and um, resharing any of the sort of uh, vaguely sort of spoopy uh, episodes that I have. And like today's was Event Horizon. Oh, and my God. I know, right? <laughs> Hellraiser in space um and it is it is really bizarre because you're sort of next to fern gully the last rainforest you've also got sort of a scream but i think um obviously what's great about cinema is that sometimes you're introduced to it way earlier than you should have been (laughs) (laughs) you know you end up sort of watching these movies that you a hundred percent should not have been watching at that age um And then you're like, I'm obsessed with it. I loved it. Because my age bracket as well sort of pushes itself up to sort of 14. So when you're 14, you're sort of experimenting a lot more, I think, with especially older movies, if you can get away with it. Um, And so a lot of, yeah, a few people sort of got introduced to quite hardcore horrors quite early on in their lives. And they were like, oh, my God, I love it so much. Um, yeah, the yeah. the one episode you did that I almost couldn't listen to um, was you did a a live, uh, or I guess not a live, but a recording of you watching The Exorcist. Yes, and that is still one of like that's one of those movies that because I watched it at such a young age, mm. um, it still t- scares the hell out of me. Like sitting down and watching it is it's not something that I'll see and go, Oh, I'll put that on. It's like, I have to mentally prepare myself for sitting down to it. And I almost couldn't watch your process of watch. I almost couldn't (laughs) listen to your process of watching it because of that. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm so glad you've said that because the exorcist, I mean, we all know the exit. You say the exorcist and in everybody's brain, it's like three cores go like, and everyone like knows that there's this like vibe with the exorcist. And like, I think it was like fake marketing. Like someone's job was to be like hype, 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 hype about it, which is why we were so scared of it. And, you know, I mean, this came out years before I was born. And yet for absolutely ages, I was like, I'm never watching The Exorcist. It's just something that I'm not ever going to do. And I am at peace with that. And it was really interesting because I, I asked my friend what she wanted to do. And she herself was going through the top 100 horror movies of Empire magazine. And she was like, I'll pick one out of a hat for my blog that week and whichever one it is we'll just do for your podcast as well and I was like she's got a hundred movies to choose from <laughs> she's gonna pick the ex I know it's gonna be the exorcist I know it- I know it is it's good I know I know it's gonna be the exorcist and she's like hey so it's the exorcist and I was like oh <laughs> and I was I was I was like I had I had to get myself into a place where I was like it's gonna be fine because, <laughs> you know I've spoken to so many people where I mean I'm a massive Blair Witch fan and I think it's sick it made me vomit the first three times I watched it and um I've only recently <laughs> the fact that you went back two more times <laughs> and had the same and response still was like ah, it's scary <laughs> um but now I've finally gotten myself to an immunity I've vaccinated myself against the Blair Witch enough that I'm cool with it and um 
Yeah, and so many people I introduced that movie to and they're like, it's boring, I hated it, I didn't like it, it was not scary, didn't see the Blair Witch, sucks. And um, the same was happening with The Exorcist. People were like, oh, it's really bad, like the special effects are really like, oh, they came out in the like 70s, it's not even scary anymore. And then I spoke to like a couple other people and they were like, no, it's gonna, it's gonna fuck you up. And I was like, oh God, oh no. Um, I was surprised at how much of a genuinely fantastic piece of cinema it was. Like, it, yeah. I was watching it and I was like, fuck, this is like a great movie. Like, this is just... And I could feel it because another one of my favorites is The Wicker Man. And that's such a good one for like winding you up. You know, like if you're like a little clockwork toy with a key in the back and it just winds you up and winds you up and winds you up. And a jump scare will often release that and let you go like chattering across the floorboards or whatever. But um, movies like The Wicker Man and movies like, like The Exorcist don't give you jump scares really. So you're just wound up. And I mean, it's just, it's just brilliant. I was surprised at how much I was like, I mean, it was a drinking game. Um, I barely touched my drink because I was just like gobsmacked at this movie. <laughs> I can totally imagine like, because and the soundtracks, well, when we're watching it live, all you hear is that sort of like, like constantly throughout the movie, that sort of horrible it was brilliant and it was frightening and I can totally I mean how old were you when you watched it I was in my teens uh, mm -hmm. I want to say late teens but I came across it on late night TV oh no so I wasn't expecting it was one of those where I would stay up way too late on the weekends <laughs> and the uh, I didn't have cable I just had TV networks but they would air horror movies at like 1 a.m mm -hmm. and I must I, I came into it already in progress so it probably was like 1 2 o'clock in the morning when I found it and it, so you don't have the context of what's going on because you haven't watched the story you just tune in and see this girl's head spinning around or whatever and you, it's like what the hell did yeah. I just see yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can totally imagine that with absolutely no build up or context it it sort of makes it better because you know I'd sort of I'd sort of seen all of this the scenes out of context you know I'd uh, you know every sort of countdown of like 100 scariest moments ever it's like here's little Regan with her head turning around and you're like haha yeah the exorcist I get it and like it I think it's it's such a testament to the movie that with or without the context you turn it on and you're just like great now I feel ill and <laughs> I can't deal with anything anymore ever Oh God. Oh God. <laughs> so I wanted to talk a little bit about the the process of getting you back on the show because you specifically wanted to pick a scary movie. Yeah. Um, you originally said Creep Show, which is one of my favorite, especially horror anthologies. Mm -hmm. um, but then as we started talking, you quickly changed from that to uh, a, a movie that we couldn't end up picking, yes. uh, which was Ghost Watch. And we couldn't pick it because even though it was on um shutter well, up to last year it's now really not accessible anywhere mm -hmm. so i wanted to give you a minute to talk about ghost watch like mm -hmm. why you wanted to do that and how you kind of feel about its lack of accessibility oh my god the dream okay so ghost watch is genuinely the greatest thing that's ever ever happened in the history of life um i <laughs> <laughs> but it's a made for tv movie yeah so um i don't know how much you know about uk television I'll give you uh, a, um... I know that UK has television. It has uh, <laughs> BBC, yes, which is governmentally funded, right? Yes, and the BBC okay. is the like safe channel. You're not going to get any crazy opinions on there. You're not going to get anything out of the ordinary. You know, you're going to have your Downton Abbey's. I don't even know if it does have Downton Abbey, but it, it's safe. You know, you have your BBC dramas and you have your like EastEnders 
um, it's it's very it's a safe channel. And Michael Parkinson, uh, who used to have the chat show Parky, you're sort of Jonathan Ross, a Graham Norton type, where it, you know it'd be on a Friday evening, very safe pair of hands. We have a children's show called Blue Peter where you have lots of different presenters on it. And again, very safe, safe pair of hands. Blue Peter, like, here's one I made earlier. We're going to make a seashell out of pasta. We're going to go and visit the Taj Mahal. Look, we've got all these pets in the studio, like very, very safe. Um, And Red Dwarf was a comedy that had Craig Charles. You might, might have heard of Craig Charles. Anyway, they've got all of those people together. They had a Blue Peter presenter. Michael Parkinson and Craig Charles. And what they did was on Halloween night in 1992, they were like, we're doing a, like a documentary for Halloween and we're going to visit the most haunted house in England. And we've got Sarah Green in the house. We've got Michael Parkinson back in the BBC studios and we've got Craig Charles out on the street interviewing the neighbors. And we're just going to, we're going to see if we can catch any ghosts on camera, kids. It's going to be, it's going to be great. And it was on at 10 p.m. Right, so we can assume it's going to be a little bit spoopy. Leslie Manning and Stephen Volk, who are the director and writer, are geniuses. <laughs> what they give us is a brilliantly paced one hour and 31 minute fake documentary that everybody thought was live. And you could call in to the studio because you would come back to the studio and there would be people calling in and they would be answering the things. And on the night, apparently, if you rang in, you would be talking to someone. Even though it wasn't being broadcast live, you would still talk to somebody. Wow. And it was constructed in this way where it was using techniques that hadn't really been used before. And basically what happens is obviously Michael Parkinson's in the studio being like, there's no such thing as fucking ghosts. Like, why are we even here? Sarah Green's in the house like, oh, okay, the little girl heard something. What? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, I see. You've called the ghost that lives in this house pipes because because you used to sort of explain the bangings on the wall as it's just the pipes. So they've called the ghost pipes. So, oh, I guess pipes is here. Okay, cool. And Craig Charles is in the street, like dicking about like comic relief. And gradually and gradually people start ringing in and being like, I saw something in the window and they play the footage from 10 minutes earlier and you can see something in the window and they're going... I can't, I can't see anything. So they rewind the tape and replay it. And then there isn't something in the window the second time. And they're like, there's, <laughs> there's, no, there's nothing. And, and just imagine if you were watching this live on the BBC at 10 p.m. on Halloween. And it builds and it builds and it builds and it gets scary. I watch it every Halloween and I know what happens. And every Halloween I'm freaked out. It gets worse and worse and it comes to a head and it is it is an utterly spine chilling ending it is absolutely horrific and it it's got this idea of like a a seance is happening through the television screen the writer wanted to play throughout the documentary um a noise that would affect the animals in the living rooms of the people watching it which is like they didn't let him. They were like, no, <laughs> we can't do that. Um, it was banned from television for 10 years. The 10-year oh ban is up now, but um, they still refused to play it. All of the presenters had to come on to the channels and apologize. They had to be like, look, see, Sarah Green's still here. She's still alive. It's fine. 
like we're we're sorry it was it was scripted the first thing that happens when the credits roll is that it says like written by Stephen Volk and it's like then it's like cast list and it, it shows you that an actor played like pipes or whatever I mean, I mean, really, really horrific backlash. Uh, some poor boy um, was so obsessed with it, he ended up killing himself because he, he oh, wanted no. to sort of, he was so frightened of pipes, um, which is really, really tragic. But people, people were like, fucked up. They thought it was so <laughs> real. They completely trusted the BBC. And I, I think it's genuinely a case that the BBC didn't know how good they'd got they'd it. done. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it is such a fascinating piece of television history um, that I only came across because it's on one of those 100 top scariest moments and it cuts to these people and they were like, I thought it was real and it scared the shit out of me. Because all these kids stayed up to watch it because the Blue Peter presenter was in it. And it oh, like, God. Yeah. <laughs> all these kids ended up watching it. So there were so many complaints. So many complaints. As I say, it was completely banned from being shown ever again. Well, I'm really sorry we weren't able to get <laughs> yeah. it on for I, this. Literally, I, if you can, I mean, as I say, I had to buy it on DVD because you can't really find it anywhere. If you can get hold of a copy one day, I would love to know what you think of it as like a, a, a modern person watching it, knowing how like television works these days and what people do and stuff with it. I just, I think it was so revolutionary and I think it, was so accidentally genius uh, as a piece yeah. of horror. It definitely sounds like it. I mean, it, mm. it, it sounds right up my alley, so I'm mm. going to have to find a copy. All right, well, let's switch gears and move to this week's movie. Um, instead of Ghost Watch, since we couldn't get to that, you still wanted to represent uh, the British Empire here, mm -hmm. so you picked 1971's The Blood on Satan's Claw, written by Robert Wynne Simmons and Piers Haggard, directed by Piers Haggard, starring Patrick Wymark, Lindsay Hayden, Barry Andrews, Michelle Dotrice, and Wendy Padbury. When the grave of the devil is disturbed by the plow, the satanic essence of evil wreaks violent and revolting revenge. But it weren't human, sir. There were fur. Then it was an animal's remains. It were more like some fiend. And the evil grows quickly attacking first the youth of the village and making them the devil's children. Alf, look, look. Oh, God, I prayed I'd never see that again. That's what they call the devil's skin. Doctor, witchcraft is dead and discredited. Are you bent on reviving forgotten horrors? How do we know, sir, what is dead? on Satan's claw. This this was an interesting one for me. Um, I'm going to start off with my normal question. How do you describe this one to someone who has not seen it? How do you sell them on it? Because I hadn't even heard of it uh, at the point that you brought it up and several of my friends couldn't believe that I was ignorant about this film. <laughs> but how do, you, how do you sell this to someone who hasn't seen it? How do you describe it? I guess you've got to go with the sort of like, I mean, it, it's folk horror and if you've sort of never heard of that subgenre, it's that sort of like countryside people. Oh God, it's so it's it's so simple and yet so complex. It's basically yeah. like really old-fashioned English countryside horror where like normal people are literally affected by the devil, like actual right. Satan. Like like Satan is a character in this movie. <laughs> like <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it's um. Other examples of folk horror are, you mentioned The Wicker Man earlier, that's mm-hmm. considered folk horror. Uh, Witchfinder General is another one from that same era uh, that are considered this folk horror. Yeah, they're the like primary trilogy of folk horror, the like unholy trilogy. Um, <laughs> and then sort of more modern folk horrors would be things like uh, the VV Itch, like The Witch. Um, right. And uh, Midsummer can be yeah. considered folk horror as well. So I'm so which, happy that it's alive and well. Which I still have not seen mm. and I need to fix that. Yes, it's you do. it's been on my it's been in my queue for forever. Mm-hmm. I mean since it came out and I just haven't seen it. Yeah. So when I was in my teen years, um, my my family lived farther away from all of our relatives. My grandmother knew that I was into movies. And as I started getting older, she started sending me VHS copies of more classic horror movies. So, like, the reason I saw the original Night of the Living Dead was because she sent me a copy of it. She <laughs> oh sent me um, the original Lon Chaney Phantom of the Opera. Oh, um, awesome. And and I, I remember other movies along the way that she sent, like The House of Seven Corpses, which was, you know, <laughs> 60s, 70s era. And this was not one of those movies, mm-hmm. but it very easily could have been. It mm. had that same feel to it of those other movies. Mm. So what is your history? Because obviously you are not old enough for this, to have seen <laughs> this movie when it came out in 71. What's your history with this movie? So it's it's really fresh. Um, I don't know if I've cheated my way onto this, this podcast by actually now revealing that I only watched this movie for the first time last year. I knew about it for absolutely ages. I started to, I never liked horror movies. I had absolutely no interest. In, well, no, that's a lie. I would Wikipedia the summaries, but I would never watch them because <laughs> I had to know what happened. But I wouldn't. But you didn't want to watch it. I didn't want to see it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then I watched Shaun of the Dead, and I didn't have nightmares. And I was like, I'm cured. I wasn't. <laughs> I thought I was. So I started watching horror movies, and more and more, I started really enjoying what I then came to know as folk horror. Because I I live in the countryside. I live in Suffolk. Um, oh, okay. Which is very like uh, blood on Satan's claw territory, like very hardcore that. Um, and so I, I really love this idea of all these sort of local horrors and these, these people that are quite sort of backwards and weird anyway, being affected in this way. And I'm a big fan of the League of Gentlemen and Reese Shearsmith in particular. And he would always talk about this. Him and Mark Gatiss would always talk about this movie um, and how wonderful it was. And then I saw that it was in the Holy Trinity of movies and I'd seen the other two and I was like, it's time. Um, so I sat down to watch it and I became obsessed. And I was like, everybody has to see this movie. Like, it's just such a good movie. Like, it's just so important. Like, it's such, it, it, it's primal horror. It, 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 it's, it's not like anything you'd expect to see from this era in this particular genre you know, so I was just like, oh my God, I have to get the word out about this movie. So like I did with Labyrinth, where I felt I had to come and like tell people off for <laughs> shitting on it. I'm here to like spread the the word of blood on Satan's claw. So what is it about this movie that appeals to you so much? Because I, I find that interesting that you became obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. I think it's the way that it's very simply shot in the, you've got very sort of old 
houses the the acting isn't fabulous they they do just seem like normal people it's such a huge cast of characters because like spoiler alert so many people just keep dying (laughs) you get to know this one character and you're like cool so they're our protagonist and they just drew barrymore you every 15 minutes (laughs) just to explain that uh in case anybody listening doesn't get it that would be a scream reference yes where they they pitched it as having drew barrymore in it and she dies in the first in the opening scene yeah before we even see the title card <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> genius genius and they do that here you really the whole time you're like cool 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 so this is our like babe that we're like following oh they're dead okay cool so i guess like this and we just keep like you know with 15 minutes left of the movie we're introduced to this like another person who we've sort of never seen before and then she becomes our main focal point and I just love that sort of really long meandering like I think it's very brave and I'm fascinated to know what you thought of it because I was watching it and I was like right I dig this this is this is so wonderful but like I can see how any other especially contemporary audience would be like what the shit is this because it is if i don't know how long it is but it feels it's an hour and 36 minutes is that it it feels yeah that's it i don't know if you agree it feels so long everything takes so much time and in juxtaposition to these normal people living these normal lives you have these genuine moments of horror and i mean that in its most sort of fundamental way like he's being strangled by a a horrible hand and then he realized it's his hand and it's just like stomach dropping reveals that aren't even that bad of an effect i mean maybe the hand (laughs) but but but, you know it's a it's a weird sort of werewolf cheap dollar store like werewolf hand it's it's like a gorilla glove (laughs) with these huge talons on it That have been like glued on by wardrobe like five minutes prior but the reveal then that it's his hand and then the fact that he hacks it off in like almost real time and people always say what's scary about the shining is that you're with jack nicholson on every swing of that axe and it takes so long and that's this movie there's really horrific moments of violence and horror and they last such a long time and you're with them all the way and there's lots of point of view shots and i think when they do do the gore and um the moments of of horror it's not as uh, sort of shitty as you'd expect it to be in the sort of <laughs> 70s low budget you know i it does look like a gorilla hand but you expect sort of all the stuff to look like a gorilla hand and then sometimes they'll do something and you're like actually that's quite disturbing like I don't like watching them remove this devil's skin from this girl's leg I don't it's very visceral everything's very I found I find it a very visceral experience and like an experience like you I sit there for only an hour and a half apparently but it, it, it feels like I'm there forever and I'm just sunk into this world of like mud and religion and fur and claws and I just really, really enjoy that. I really enjoy all of the sort of primal terror that comes with it. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, it it's um it, it is 
of its time uh, in, in a lot of ways. Like mm-hmm. I was thinking about how they would remake this. Mm-hmm. And that's not me encouraging a remake by any means <laughs> because I, part of part of my problem with it, and I liked it. Don't get me wrong. Okay. I liked it, but I had some issues with it. Yeah, it's fine. Um, and, and some of my issues with it were the the story. And this is, again, indicative of that time period. The reason I included the, the anecdote about my grandmother sending me these kinds of movies is I think that helped me understand this era of film better than if I if I hadn't had that experience watching those kinds of movies. That's cool. Um, and very indicative of that time period is there are are parts of the story that are very underdeveloped yeah, um, and, and, and are not explained to the audience. And I think a remake would probably be over two hours in order to explain stuff to the audience that the original doesn't. And there's a part of me that thinks a little bit more explanation would be good, mm-hmm. but there's also a part of me that really appreciates the simplicity and kind of matter of factness with which this presents its material. Like you, you mentioned uh, the the one cutting off his hand. Who is that? That's uh, is that Peter? Yeah, that's Peter. Yeah. Um. So Peter. Uh, it, it cuts off his hand at this point. I couldn't completely tell what was going on in that scene. So yeah. I didn't get that it was his own hand until later in the movie when he is visiting the judge and he goes to reach for a cup. And of course he just has a nub there, mm-hmm. but, but to add complexity to that, when we do see this coven coterie, whatever you want to call it, this collective of Satan worshipers, one of them has their hand cut off. And so it was like, is that who he cut the hand off of? And then later you see that his hand is missing and it's like, oh, he cut off his own hand. Well, then what's the story with her hand missing? <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree. I only caught that um, this time round, where for, for ages I thought Peter had joined the Satanists, if you will. Um, but then this time round I was like, oh, no, it's like, it's like, if a disease was sweeping through this village and the disease is Satanism, then one of the symptoms is that, you know, you have your devil skin with your yeah. little patch of fur, you have your lashes or whatever, and you have your gorilla hand that you have to chop off because it's trying to kill you. And <laughs> I think by the end, you could sort of see in the congregation a lot more people were missing sort of limbs and hands and fingers more so than again they they're not like zooming in on it they're not like see look the devil is here (laughs) they just sort of letting it happen (laughs) as the sort of thing in the background where it's like yeah this town is cursed and diseased and everybody's losing their hands and shit to gorilla paws um (laughs) but we got bigger sorry i brought up the gorilla glove now (laughs) (laughs) it's so perfect though It it describes it so perfectly So one of the other items that you kind of talked about with it is the way that it does present characters. And again, it's kind of that matter of fact. We don't get a whole lot of context about who they are. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's good because, again, as you said, some of them don't last very long. Like you think that this is a central character and, oh, they're dead or, or, oh, they're being attacked or, or whatever. My only issue with that, and this is probably just completely and totally a me issue, is that some of them looked so similar. Yeah. That, like, I was writing in my notes and I'm looking through my notes and it's like men chasing Angel. And I crossed out Angel because it's Margaret. Yeah. And I have another place where I was like, Ralph hurting, then fine. Oh, it's not Ralph, it's, you know, Mark. Um, yeah. and, and you don't really get enough of an introduction to some of the characters to know who they are. And they look so similar to other characters that there's, you know, only having seen this movie once, mm-hmm. there's a little bit of confusion with that. 
And my understanding yeah. is this originally was written to be kind of like Creepshow, this collection of stories grouped together under one title. It was actually intended to be three different stories, and then they ended up on a rewrite weaving the three stories together to make one overarching narrative. And that makes so much sense with how you view the movie, which is why I think you do get attached to the sort of, there's the the, the lovers and then they have tragedy and then there's Margaret and she has tragedy and then Angel is just like an ongoing thread throughout, which is why also Angel's really massive at one point and then she sort of disappears for a really long time and then she like comes back again. Um, that makes complete sense. And I, I really like it. And perhaps it would have worked better in terms of audience understanding if they'd kept it as the three separate narratives. But I don't know, man. I, I know exactly what you're saying. Um, again, it took me a few watches before I was like, oh, okay, so that's their mom and that's the chip, but she works for, which is why she's in that house. And right. like, there's no sort of establishing like, these are our characters and here they are going on their plight, blah, blah, blah. It's just sort of like, we swoop into this village and we're like, oh, what's going on? Oh, I'll follow you for a bit. Okay, what's that? Oh, no, <laughs> shit, she's dead. Okay, uh, let's go over here then. Hi, what's your name? Oh, no, shit, okay. Um, what's going on over there with that? Oh, he's left, he's left town, okay. Uh, and and that's something about it that I really like, but I can totally understand if... Because um, I always want my movies to like take those weird risks. I, I always used to be like, I want a movie where I don't understand what's going on, basically. <laughs> where we have to like really, really pay attention. But by doing it the way that they do, as I say, I feel like... I'm part of the movie a bit more and that's quite frightening. Yeah. The way the congregation builds in numbers throughout the film is really frightening because it's just sort of yeah. happening in the background. Well, and it goes from being a group of kids to when you get to one pivotal scene that I do want to talk about, mm. you suddenly have this random old man and old woman in the yeah, group too. Yeah, just like, what's up kids? <laughs> it's like, Can I thought this was kids game? playing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now you got like Creepy McGee, Mr. and Mrs. Creepy McGee, like banging drums and waving willow sticks. <laughs> like, we want to join in. It's like, all right. <laughs> The world is a confusing, stressful, and often frightening place. And we each have our own unique coping mechanisms that help us get by. Some people will tell you that when life gives you lemons, you should make lemonade. No, that's terrible advice. Just randomly getting free fruit is extremely suspicious. Haven't you heard of Snow White? That's actually uh, a really good point. It's usually not a great idea to consume anything if you're not totally sure what's in it. If you're the type of person who copes with discomfort by making strange jokes and who enjoys losing yourself in a creepy and sometimes bloody mystery, please join us for our dark comedy podcast, Studying Scarlet. We alternate weekly between true crime and fictional crime, and we even take listener requests for episode topics. So if you too have a morbid sense of humor, we'd love to welcome you into our weird, quirky, and sometimes disturbing world. Studying Scarlet is available on your favorite podcast app, and you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We can't wait to meet you. Please subscribe today. Well, I will say you you did get me pretty much off the bat with this because less than five minutes in, you have a scene where the reverend uh, has picked up a snake uh, and is holding it throughout this entire conversation he's having with 
I think it's the the judge and and Peter, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And I don't do snakes. <laughs> snakes snakes are are not my friend. Like I had to, I kid you not, I had to take the notebook that I'm taking notes on and hold it up to block part of the screen. <laughs> In order to keep watching because he's just holding it. And then I'm doing my research and apparently that's not a snake. It's something you guys have over there called slow worms. Yeah, it was a little slow worm. But it's very snake What is the difference between a slow worm and a snake? Because a a slow worm is a legless lizard and snakes don't have (laughs) legs, which is what freaks me out about them. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, I don't know. (laughs) 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 It's a slow worm. I I don't think it's. Uh, dangerous whereas like a snake might be a bit more I don't know I'm talking shit I have literally no idea what the difference is <laughs> <laughs> alright well let me turn to the critical reviews for just a second they're not very long uh, reviews for this movie were kind of hard to come by it sits at 70% at Rotten Tomatoes so the critics had a positive response to it Although it has a 59% audience score, so that means a lot of people went on and complained about it because it didn't live up to their expectations, which makes sense yeah. given the era it's from and kind of the complaints that I've already raised. Mm-hmm. Um, the positive review comes from Vincent Canby of the New York Times, who writes, although the blood on Satan's claw is based on an original screenplay by Robert Wynn Simmons, it has a good deal of quality of an H.P. Lovecraft work in the vulnerability of even its heroic characters, as well as in its pastoral landscape that contains the threat of evil within every sun-dappled glade. Most particularly, it contains Lovecraft's perfectly straight-faced acceptance of a universe whose natural order may at any time be overturned by supernatural disorder, Mm. which is kind of that underlying threat that you were talking about earlier. You know, it has this sense of foreboding to it. And it's it's so interesting. I'm personally not religious, so I think I find it fascinating that one day no one no one did anything. No one placed a curse on the town. No, it's not always been this way. Just one day Ralph was like harvesting the field and churned up like a skull with an eye in it and was right. like, shit, that looks bad. And then it disappears. And then all of a sudden it's like we've released Satan and he seeps his, and then Angel finds the claw. And so again, it's not really explicit, but we assume that the sort of satanic ideals start to infect the minds of these people. And it makes sense that it starts with children. Cause I guess they're so easily swayed. It's like, do you want to go to Sunday school or do you want to dick about in these church ruins? <laughs> and they're like, yay, Satan. Well, and what's interesting about the construction of the film is you do have that. That's the opening, this uh, very old school plowing of the field. And he finds the, the, the fiend as they call it. And it's, mm-hmm. it's missing. But then by the time the action actually starts to ramp up, so by the time you have uh, the hysterical woman up in the attic and then uh, Peter cutting his hand off and then the, the the Satanist crowd kind of forming and stuff, I had forgotten about those events. Yeah. And then there's a line towards the end where they tell uh, Ralph, you made this possible. Mm-hmm. You brought this about. And I went, oh, shit, this is all going back to the very first scene of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was pretty brilliant. It's so good. And it's not anything malicious. And Ralph didn't do it on purpose. He just was plowing in the wrong place. And now millions of people are dead. And the town is infected with Satanism. (laughs) And the devil is literally here, like chilling like Palpatine in the back of these ruins in a big cloak. Like, yeah, do that. (laughs) That's a great idea. 
All right, the negative side. Um, so Rotten Tomatoes did have a link to a negative review by Margaret Hicksman of the Daily Telegraph. And I, I have to I, I wanted to bring that up because when you click on the link, it is a PDF of the magazine or newspaper from 1971 oh. that you have to navigate and zoom in on. And she writes, Blood on Satan's Claw practices the black arts in 17th century England with more blood curdling relish than I enjoy. The problem is that's literally all she wrote about it. That is the Rotten Tomatoes quote, and that is also the only line in the mag- newspaper about <laughs> the movie. So I brought in a more contemporary review from Dennis Schwartz of Dennis Schwartz Movie Reviews. So, you know, there's the credibility there. <laughs> but he writes, the fir- film's first half is keenly atmospheric, keeping up the eerie theme of the supernatural as blood continually flows. But the last half of the film gives way to shock horror and exploitive gore as the film becomes less intelligible and more over the top. Interesting. I have to disagree because I feel like it builds to a, a not a necessarily a necessary climax, but a climax because right. whilst I love the meanderingness, it does sort of need an ending. The ending is bizarre and very abrupt. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> but it also kind of makes sense. It's like literally like a freeze frame. They may as well be like jumping in the air. It's like Breakfast Club. <laughs> it's like, dun, dun. Hey, hey. But I did. And you mentioned how the movie feels longer than it is, not necessarily in a bad way, but no. because it draws you into its world, it yeah. feels long. And yet when it ended, I was sitting there going, this does feel long and it ends. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think as well, because we're sort of ramping up and we know something's going to go down. The climax is basically, they're like, finally, we're going to kill Ralph and Satan, who is here with us tonight, welcome, <laughs> um, is going to finally be able to rule the land. Hooray, isn't that great? And the judge sort of comes back having been out of the movie for like most of the time, like 40 minutes comes back with a sort of magic weapon where he's like, hey, Jesus sword or whatever. <laughs> right, which he has covered up until almost <laughs> literally the last shot of the movie when literally. suddenly it's revealed. And then he charges at Satan and kills him. And hurrah, the end, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Roll credits, ding. It's really interesting because we don't sort of get to know what happens. Right. Does the town, I mean, there's no, you know, I'm an English teacher. I teach plot. We talk about rising action and climax and falling action and resolution. And this ends with the climax. There's no falling action. There's no resolution. We don't know where the town, you know, how does it recover from this? Because we know, we know angel is dead and we know Mm -hmm. that the, the, that the devil or Satan or whatever is dead, but we don't know. So what happens to the crowd of people once Satan is killed? Are they released or are they still Satanists? And, And you know, any of that. The only thing we get, is like Ralph looks at his leg, which had been slowly turning into like devil skin. It, 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 like similar to the beginning, his leg right. had been turning into like a gorilla leg, if you will. And um, <laughs> <laughs> we will. And uh, Satan dies and we get one glance at Ralph who like lifts up his sock and he's like, oh, thank God, my skin's back. Roll credits. Right. And I think we're meant to take from that that like the convenient vampires in Buffy that clean themselves up, Satan's everything's sort of undone and everyone's devil skin goes and we assume any infection in their brain also goes whether they then have amnesia whether they have to then face trial for their 
um, sins for right. all, for all of the child murder that they've all done, the 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 horrific acts of violence against women that they've all done. Yeah, we need and to talk I, about I that. To go down that alley, because I know that you often bring a feministic lens to movies you you talk about on your podcast, mm-hmm. and you know you have. Angel attempts to seduce the minister by coming into the church and just removing her robe. And she's standing there in her 17-year-old naked body. You have what essentially later on is a ceremonial rape of a girl, which was, even for a movie made in 1971, that was brutal to watch now. Mm -hmm. And I mean, Margaret claims she's innocent and they do the old uh, witch test of throwing her in the river bound. And if she sinks, then she's innocent. But if she floats, then she's a witch. Yep. Uh, Which I love that um, uh, uh, Ralph does kind of point out to them the idiocy in that because if if she drowns, she was innocent, but she's dead. But how do you feel about this movie's treatment and presentation of women? It's such an interesting question because I don't really know, to be honest. Like, with folk horror as a subgenre, it is a trope to a point. Like, The Wicker Man has a similar thing where, like, the woman gets naked. Right. She isn't because she's being controlled by Satan, but... It's funny because you've got two things here. You've got the sort of um, independent agency of Angel who is using her body as a weapon um, to try and get the priest to come with her so she can, I assume, kill him so she can get the word of the Lord out of the way so Satan can rise. Um, On the other hand, the idea is that women are evil and <laughs> we use our bodies as a weapon because we can. And um, I think it's his, I think if he had been more struggling and I think mm-hmm. if he had genuinely wanted to go with the 17 year old teenager, I would have had more of a problem with that because he's very much, I got the impression that he was very much devout and he was very yes. much like, will you cover yourself up? I do not want to do this. And a similar thing happens in The Wicker Man that that very much sort of like, no, 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 no. I'm not even vaguely tempted by this offer. I am disgusted. And as you sort of should be, as you would be if that ever happened to you, you would be like, my God, child, like what is wrong with you right now? We need to get you some help. Um, (laughs) Because... Up until this point, you know, it goes against societal, it goes against religion, and and it is just a very, not a very healthy thing for a 17-year-old girl to be approaching an adult in that way, being like... And, and I should point out, when I say 17-year-old, the actress was 17 when she filmed those naked scenes. Yeah, they're probably playing more sort of 15, to be yeah. honest, 12 to 15. Um, so that... the. Um, so that's that it, it, it's so interesting because I'm looking at it and I'm like why don't I have a massive problem with it and I think it comes down to his reaction within the scene 
the rape that makes scene. Because on one hand, well, before you move to the rape scene, yeah, on yeah, one yeah. hand, I think Angel is a strong female figure. Mm. But on the other hand, you have to figure she's being controlled by Satan. So is she a strong female? And it, it's, it is a, a very confusing way to think about the character. She's so fascinating. The very first time we meet her, you get this impression that she's sort of a bit cheeky and rebellious anyway. Right. Because she's very attractive. You know, she's sort of obviously the renowned beauty of the town. Everybody knows Angel. Everybody loves Angel. And we see her like scrabbling around in these fields. It is really lovely how often we get to see these kids be kids. You don't really get to yeah. see that in movies. Playing um, with the bones as like what yeah. would eventually become jacks and throwing dirt clods at each other as they go yeah. through the fields. And yeah, really I, mean, I, I love that. And, and then she finds the claw and then she starts acting a bit more sus and <laughs> and then obviously she becomes like a massive satanist um but- well it's it's particularly interesting because over the course of the film ralph really is an ineffective hero i mean he is so bad at being the hero Such that it's boyfriend. interesting yeah i know let's my my girlfriend's being ritually raped and murdered and all i'm doing is running through the forest calling out her name so it's interesting in contrast to have a strong female figure but then there's the question of she's if she, is she the strong female figure but let's let's talk about the rape yeah 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 and like obviously when it all comes to religion you have that thing with women where it's like hey women are original sin so women are evil and that's that but i do like because they easily could have had her be male but then because a lot of the other characters are male it's interesting to make her female there are quite a lot of women in this movie to be fair they are all evil they are. Most of them. <laughs> but, yeah um, <laughs> it doesn't they're evil they're evil or they're bitchy because yeah. you also have like um paul's mother or grandmother yeah. in the beginning who immediately rejects this woman he's brought home for no reason other than the fact that he's Lost. brought her home yeah i mean it's She's out of your league She's yes a peasant can't possibly marry <laughs> down below you get her out of this house she can she can sleep in the attic <laughs> right um, <laughs> fuck her <laughs> fuck you for bringing her into this house um so the rape scene it's it's got a heavy use of point of view which is yes. <sighs> Put like, you right in it. Yeah, it's really, really disturbing. It's claustrophobic. It's terrifying. And there is absolutely nothing glamorous about it. They are ripping her clothing off of her. And it's she is a she is a child and she is covering herself up so furiously. It almost it's so terrifying to me that it looks real. It looks like they didn't tell this actress what was gonna happen. They didn't. You know they mean? made they made that scene up on the day. That, that was not, not a scripted scene. And that I think the the ripping the clothes off of her. What what really sickened me about that is you have the guys come in and rip her top off, mm-hmm. and I and I find it really interesting that there is no nudity in this scene. It is implied nudity. Yeah. She she covers herself quickly so the camera never catches anything. Mm-hmm. But the girls are the ones who tear her her skirt off. Yeah. It's it's, a bunch of girls who come in and help unclothe her for this rape that's about to happen. It's it's terrifying. I mean, the the 
the idea of women hating women has been in cinema for absolutely years. And it's only recently that we're starting to get sort of female friendships in movies in a massive way and like an ensemble way. And this is very much a cult versus a cult doing a ritual. So I think it's sort of genderless. And if they could, I think this is going to sound really bizarre, but I think if they could and they, they could, but they wouldn't think to do this in the 70s, they they would easily have um, Angel rape her in the same way that Angel felt like she was going to rape the priest. You know, they're all sort of trying to commit the terrible act together. Um, again, it's, it's a very sort of folk horror trope. You'll see it in um, other movies that you may watch soon. That's a really interesting perspective because yeah. I specifically wrote down Angel seducing the minister, but the crowd rapes the girl. And mm -hmm. I didn't think about that is exactly the same thing. Mm. Uh, I just viewed it from a different vantage point. Yeah. And the fact that they're sort of all there the whole time and then an angel's part of it, you know, like she's not, she's not penetrating with a body part. She's penetrating with a weapon, but they're both still penetrating her to hurt her. And it's right. a very sort of communal act of aggression which I also don't really understand, other than the fact that this um, this girl has been sort of like, I don't like what's going on here the whole time. Like, Kathy sort of spent the whole movie being like, I don't think we should do that. But they're not even trying to convince her to be, like, part of their gang. They're just like, we have decided that you are the sacrifice. And I don't know if it's also to get her out the way so they can get to Ralph. Um yeah. Well, and what's the point of the rape if what's going to follow is murder, then yeah. I, I, to, to murder a virgin versus, I mean, a, a presumably a virgin, but to mm. marry a virgin, I mean, to murder a virgin versus someone who is just raped, like, I don't get that and there's yeah. no context given. And you, you, you might think originally that she was going to be the sort of Mary of this story where it was like, you can have the demon child. Right. I think it is just meant to be a shocking act of violence, whether from a 1970s boardroom, how are we going to really fuck the audience up here point of view, or whether it is just like, and that is another thing that the Satanists back in the 17th century were uh, known for, you know, devil skin raping people <laughs> like <laughs> they do a really good job of capturing that 17th century mm. aesthetic i mean i was i was blown away like especially the medicine when the doctor is trying to treat the 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 grandmother after her face has been scratched open by the hysterical girl and his he's going to bleed her you yeah. know and it was just like the the way they they obviously knew what they were writing about mm -hmm. and I, I found that fascinating yeah, very much so. You are in that world. You're not, because yes. there's other, um, Apostle is on Netflix. It stars Dan Stevens. It's a folk horror set in a sort of similar time, uh, but on an island off the coast of Scotland, I believe. And because it was filmed in like 2015 or whenever, you do, it has a more contemporary feel to it. The act, you know, that's Dan Stevens. He's doing his best to portray like a 17th century person but he can't help but betray his sort of modernness within right. the story and this feels like 
it feels right. And I like obviously the 70s isn't necessarily closer to the 17th century than 2015. <laughs> but it weirdly works in the same way that you watch all of the adaptations of Victorian literature in the 90s. They they sort of got it a bit more than when we adapt the Victorian literature here in the 2010s and the 2020s. Like we just don't let ourselves get rustic enough because I think we think it will alienate the audience. Right. Well, and I, th- and I wonder if part of that isn't the fact that it is, you know, set in the 17th century, it's filmed in the 70s, so the film has a, an older look to it. That's very um, true. And, and so it's depicting an old time with film stock that now looks old, and yeah. I, I wonder if that doesn't help make that feel a little more authentic That's as well. such a good point. That sort of grainy, very pale vibe, whereas now you can do it, you can choose whether you want things to be well lit or... Because it's all... It's all basically shot outside. There are very few indoor scenes. So they seem to be using natural light a lot of the time, which I think helps with this sort of, and there's so many sweeping shots of just like the countryside, which is terrifying because especially when you're in a position of Ralph being like, Kathy, Kathy, Kathy. And you're just like, no one's there, man. You're like in the middle of fucking nowhere. And it's not like the crowd of Satanists is about to give away their position, (laughs) even if you were close to them. (laughs) Exactly. And I love the sort of everyday, you know, he stumbles across someone because they could easily have had him stumble across her body. But he bumps into someone who is just like, oh, I saw a bunch of kids go that way. And it's like, oh, which sort of shows us that the folk, the town folk don't really know or care that these people are committing these heinous acts. Because before Kathy's rape scene, Kathy's brother has already been literally murdered. Right. um, And left in the shed. And what's even worse about that is that they have the audacity to go and like inform his mom she they don't even let her find the body they hunt her down in the woods smash the medicine she's holding and she's like what the fuck kids and they're like ha 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 go check your woodshed we've put your boy in there right he's not gonna need the medicine now anyway straight up tell her and she's like what and then what's really interesting is because it's the 17th century you get this you get this idea that these people are just used to people dying all the yes. time, whether it be from Satan, whether it be from the pox, the people die. And you know, she's sad and she's like, God, this is horrible. We have to have a funeral now. But she's pretty chill about it as well. She's like, my son has died and now they've killed my Kathy too, sir. We're so glad you're back because we do need to get rid of this devil problem because I have run out of children. And it's just very <laughs> sort of like chill. Everyone's just sort of like, yeah, we're losing so many people on a daily basis, sir. Uh, it's, it's, we, I don't have anyone to look after the chickens now. Do you know what I mean? It's just that sort of everyday vibe. I think what also was really interesting was that um, they mentioned witches as the first option as to yes. what's going on. And he's like, don't be silly, man. Witches, witches is, is stupid. Witches is not a thing. We've cleared that out. We've finished anymore. that problem. We've, we're done yeah. with the witch trials here in England. Um but then Satan exists. So <laughs> did witches exist? Was it a, did was that Satan's first try? And then he was like, fuck it, that didn't work. They drowned them all. So I'm gonna just go straight to straight, Satanism. <laughs> yeah, straight to like infecting the children of this random village here in the countryside. So it's just really interesting that they're like, we we are very devout, but we've got rid of the witch problem. 
but we can't, we're trying to be men of science, but we're also kind of really not. We're going to bleed you because we think that's what's right, because I read it in my science book, but my science book also has a picture of Satan in it, which I'm using as reference for this current problem. And it's just a really, really, really interesting mixture of like people that are just trying to explain events and it just so happens, like in The Witch, that the events that they're worried about are 100% real. And like, there's no Scooby-Doo at the end. No one's (laughs) mask gets taken off. It's not like it was the judge the whole time and he just wanted the money. Boo! It like, it's, it's fucking Satan. Deal with it. Like, it's the actual devil. Have fun. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's move into the end credits here. We always start with the algorithm says. This is a list of movies uh, that various algorithms say you will like because you liked this. I will be surprised if you have heard of a lot of these, but (laughs) you might surprise me, especially since you admitted that this is kind of a more recent obsession for you. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. Uh, First up, Witchfinder General. Yes. Yes, it's so good. It's completely historically inaccurate, but it's um, Vincent Price, I believe, as uh, Matthew Hopkins, who is from where I'm from. Oh my God, oh, twinsies! Yeah. He <laughs> <laughs> he would um, he would capture the witches in in Manning Tree, which is the train station that I get my trains from, and he would put them in Colchester Castle, where I went and did my A levels in Colchester, not in Colchester Castle, but. Um, yeah, so I and I I watched it and I I really I really like it. It's 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 very seventies in that it's like quick the haze code is gone. Get all the blood and the sex and the gore in, and it's completely historically <laughs> inaccurate because Matthew Hopkins died of tuberculosis in jail, not being clubbed in the head like all of the film adaptations try and because you know he needs to be punished because he's the villain. But it's interesting that they. <laughs> You know, he is the sort of primary character almost, and he is the fucking worst. So, <laughs> all right, the Wicker Man, the original, not oh, the remake. <laughs> best. Both of those movies are very good for different reasons. The Wicker Man is genuinely my favorite horror movie ever made. I remember when I first watched it, I ended up watching it every single night for about a month, just on really? repeat because I was obsessed with it. I would show it to anyone that would, similar to Labyrinth, I would like be like, um, see so you guys want to watch The Wicker Man? Like, I think we should watch The Wicker Man. I think it's just really good. Um, I love the ending. It is iconic. I won't spoil it here, but it just winds you up and winds you up and winds you up and it never lets you go. Christopher Lee on absolutely fine form and just, chilling so good cults 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 love them (laughs) all right the devil rides out Ooh, i've not heard of that one yeah me neither (laughs) um or the next one twins of evil no i've never heard that one either all right taste the blood of dracula that sounds amazing is that a christopher lee it is Christopher Lee, nice. yes. <laughs> Must be a hammer horror. It's probably great. <laughs> All right. Cry of the Banshee. Ooh. Never heard of it, but it sounds good. Okay. The House That Dripped Blood. That sounds amazing. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, the Witches. This is from 1966. Oh, 19, I thought you were going to say 1990. I was like, that movie is actually made by satan for children and it is <laughs> and has a remake coming out later this month yeah so quick <laughs> i knew it was happening but now they're suddenly like here it is and i'm like oh you you filmed it already okay no i don't it, the witch is 1960 no i have no idea what that is 
All right. We end with two more contemporary ones. Uh, first, In the Mouth of Madness. Ooh, I've heard of that, but I don't think I've seen it. Oh, it's wonderful. It is based on H.P. Lovecraft stuff, so I think oh, that's the connection. Nice. Um, and it's John Carpenter. It's the the third movie in what he considers to be like his apocalypse trilogy. So oh, it's nice. it, they're they're not actually connected other than thematically, but it's it's one of my favorite Carpenter films. <laughs> and then we end with appropriately enough, and I kid you not, I didn't make this up. Creep show. No way. <laughs> <laughs> We've come full circle. <laughs> <laughs> but I did want to add in, this one didn't show up. I was surprised it didn't show up in any of the algorithms. Uh, a movie called The Beast in the Cellar. Ooh, what's that? It was what was paired with this movie when it first came out. It was a double feature ah! of the the uh, Blood on the Claw of Satan and uh, Blood on Satan's Claw and The Beast in the Cellar. They were a double feature. So I was really surprised Beast in the Cellar didn't show up on any of yeah, the algorithms. Yeah, that's crazy. That sounds, I'm going to have to watch that. I did not know that. That's so cool. All right. We always end with a pop quiz. <gasps> Here we go. <laughs> uh, number one, screenwriter Robert Wynn Simmons drew upon his personal experiences when writing the screenplay for which scene in particular? A, Angel attempting to seduce the minister. B, Ralph finding the skull and remains while plowing the field. C, the ceremonial rape of Kathy. Or D, cutting the devil's mark off of Margaret. I'm going to say cutting the devil's mock off of Margaret. That's right. That's He had uh, some personal experience where the doctor was cutting something off of him, and he thought about that when he was writing this and wrote that into the film. It is terrifying. <laughs> Number two, you picked the film in part to celebrate British heritage, so we'd be remiss if we didn't mention several of the cast members appeared in the iconic British series Doctor Who, Ooh. including Anthony Ainley, who plays Reverend Fallowfield here. Who did he play on Doctor Who? A, the reverend, B, the doctor, C, the master, or D, the janitor? Mm -hmm. Considering what he looks like, I'm going to say the master. That's right. He was the uh, second iteration of the master. Uh, other people who appeared in Doctor Who include Wendy Padbury. She was a companion uh, named Zoe. She was in 49 episodes. Barry Andrews played a character named Stott. He was in four episodes, which given old classic Who, that's like one storyline. Yeah. Uh, and then Simon Williams played a character named Gilmore for four episodes. Aww. Uh, number three, speaking of Doctor Who, one of the repeating contributors for the relaunch has claimed this movie as one of his influences. Which writer has an affinity for this film? A, Neil Gaiman, B, Russell T. Davies, C, Stephen Moffat, or D, Mark Gatiss? Mark Gatiss. Yes, that's right. <laughs> you already mentioned, I was like, oh, she already knows that one. All right. <laughs> Uh, and then finally, number four, we pesky prudish Americans had to have an altered version of the film in order to avoid an X rating, particularly <laughs> because of the nudity. How did they change the film in order to get an American release? Ooh. A, they removed the nudity altogether, hoping audiences could infer what was happening. B, they darkened the footage so the nudity was barely visible. C, they shot new footage of Lindsay Hayden where she kept her clothes on. Or D, they just put black bars over private parts, which damaged the mood of the scenes. <laughs> Oh man, part of me really hopes it's it's the last one. But um <laughs> <laughs> I I'm gonna go with oh did 
they? Did they darken the footage? They did. Yeah. They darkened the footage so that it wasn't as visible. <laughs> Very good. I didn't expect you to do that well. No, on this I one. was like, there's no way that they put bars up as wonderful as that would have been. There's like <laughs> the budget would not have allowed them to reshoot anything. And then right. I was like, they probably wouldn't cut it because it wouldn't make any fucking like it barely makes sense as it is. Like they're not gonna like, <laughs> cut it. All right, Emily, what do you want to promote? Where can people find you? Um, so I am the host of Why This Film podcast. We look back at the movies of your childhood. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. And we're all across social media on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And I have a website now. So check oh, that do out. You? Yeah. <laughs> Got onto Squarespace and I was like, tapa, tapa, tapa. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that exists now. Uh, I haven't got a cool domain yet. So I'm just Why This Film podcast dot Squarespace dot com uh which is not as swish as it could be but uh i'm there and uh we've got some blogs coming soon where i'm gonna start deep diving into things that i care about like things that don't matter in cinema so <laughs> watch that space. <laughs> well uh, your podcast is a joy to listen to Yay. i enjoyed coming on it and i always have enjoyed just chatting film with you whether it's on your show or my show so i'm so glad you chose to come back and i hope yes. you will come back for future conversations because oh you're just a delight to talk to and you've you. uh, this is two for two as far as movies that i just have had a great conversation and learned yeah. something about so <laughs> yay i love talking to you you are such a good host i love the layout of your show it is so cool it is so much fun and i'm so so glad that you let me come back on and i would be honored to come back on again if you ever well, find you. ghost washed let me know oh absolutely i will keep looking for it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so a note before i hit the end credits again if you liked this conversation and you're new to the show i do invite you to go back to episode 27 and hear emily completely geek out over labyrinth it's a fantastic conversation i love having her on the show both for labyrinth and this episode and i hope she'll come back again uh, she's always just a bunch of fun to talk about in fact i've been on her podcast where we talked about war games from the 1980s a uh, great classic movie from my childhood and had a wonderful conversation about that as well so search out why this film podcast and look for my episode on war games other than that, that does it for this week, but you can keep the conversation going throughout the week on social media. Share your thoughts about the blood on Satan's claw, or maybe tell me about a movie you'd like to come on the show and talk about. You can find me at Talon Hess on Twitter and Letterboxd, that's T-A-L-N-H-E-S-S, -S, or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter, on Facebook, where at Have Not Seen This podcast, or you can email me at HaveNotSeenThis at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, including next week's episode. If it had a mind, you could reason with it. If it had a body, you could shoot it. If it had a heart, you could kill it. This podcast is available through all major podcast sources. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love. And if you like World of Warcraft or other Blizzard Entertainment games, be sure to check out my other podcast, Citizens of Azeroth, a World of Warcraft podcast, also available through all major podcast sources. Special thanks to Chris Talent for her wonderful theme song, and thanks to Emily for providing this week's conversation. Until next week, I'm Rafe Telsch, and this has been Have Not Seen This. Be kind to each other. 